Good morning, everybody. It would seem that the host pipe ban is well and truly over today, I think. Um, it'll be to have Andy and Mel with us this morning. And Andy's going to speak to us today about Back to Basics. And um, as Elaine and I were discussing my, uh, my thoughts and, and Andy's potential thoughts for, uh, for this morning, we, we thought about some of the, um, the things we've been thinking about over the past few weeks. Um, about the basics of our spiritual life um, and our faith. Uh, and we're also thinking about, as it were, the, uh, a new spiritual life to be born over the last couple of months um, when we're anticipating a new physical life. So we're thinking about the fundamentally important things of, of our lives. But we couldn't help but think about, uh, or personally for me, the, the basics of our, of our life and faith and, and the moment when I first, had the, the call, as it were, the, the, the penny drop moment that I had to do something about it. And there were two moments this week. The first was Isabel, who at dinner time, at tea time one evening, said, where does God live? And we sat there and, well, why do you want to know where God lives? Well, it's raining. I think I need to go and have a word with him. I'm fed up with it raining at tea time. I want to go out and play. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, probably God lives... God lives everywhere. Where's, where's that? And getting back to those sort of basics. And then and the next question was, does God have a beard? <laughs> I think we'll, we'll move on from this discussion, otherwise we're going to get into a, quite a theological grey area at tea time here, Isabel. <laughs> um, but in my own life, the moment, as it were, that very basic point of life of deciding that Jesus was my saviour, that, that I had to commit myself, happened when I, in essence, was maybe running away and had gone to Australia for some time and was backpacking around Australia. And, um, and we were in a very run-down motel and, uh, and this guy approached us. He was quite obviously... Um, mentally somewhere else from, from something he'd been taking and said, I'm, I'm touring the world and I'm writing a book about the things that people say, the very first thing that people say. And, uh, and my cousin who was with me recited some poetry to him and I, I didn't know what, what she'd said. And, uh, and he said to me, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? And I said, Acts 1 verse 11. And quoted that to him, it was the first thing that came into my mind. And that was, that was the point in my life when I realised that actually I believed that this was something really basic. Jesus was real. Jesus was coming back. This had to induce a response. And that simple lesson, I think, has remained with me ever since, that no matter where I go, no matter what I'm doing in my life, God is there before I arrive. We might not understand the reason his hand acts upon our lives in certain ways, but at least we know we can feel his hand, the hand of a loving father and friend. And so I'd like to begin this morning by singing together, Father and friend, thy light, thy love, be ming, through all thy works we see, thy glory gilds the heavens above, and all the earth is full of thee. Abba, Father, we, we give you honour and glory now for your continued love to us that we see in the morning of rain and, and light that, that gives us life, that your hand has raised us from sleep to, to 
help us this morning, come to you to give you honour, to give you glory, to worship, to, to learn from your word, to just meet and, and comfort and strengthen and, and enjoy being together as brothers and sisters and enjoy being together with you. And Father, we pray for your kingdom to be established, even, even today, if it be your will. And that we ask that you will bless us as we meet together, that we can be guided to follow you more nearly, to be uplifted in our faith and our hope and in our deepest desires to follow our loving Lord Jesus. We thank you that we can just come together to meet, to worship us. There are so many in the world who, who can't. Help us, Father, to not take this for granted, but to make every effort to to do these things, to come together, to learn from your word. And we ask that you can be glorified in some small way by what we do here together. For yours is that kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we remember and pray for Sam, who is um, suffering a lot of pain from um, both his legs. And he's struggling to do some of the things that he used to do. Um, so we're going to remember you, Sam, in our prayers. Um, Jack is away on holiday with Norman and Margaret. They've gone to the Yorkshire Dales. And we pray that this, they'll have a restful and uplifting time together. Uh, Fiona went to visit Mark and Elaine on Thursday evening. She's still in need of some spiritual and physical space. And she won't be returning to church yet. But she's keen to keep in contact with Mark and Elaine. And she's spending next Thursday evening with them as well. And she appreciates the cards that have been sent. If you'd like to know more of where Fiona's up to, um, please speak to Mark and Elaine. Many of us will have received an email this week from John Bonani. Uh, he's obviously uh, feeling quite distant from us, so it's a good time to, to try and make the time to send him an email, uh, text message, or even give him a call. And our theme for this month is praying about people who um, show witness to Jesus to others um, through a caring profession. Loving Father, we, we, we give you thanks that we have a wonderful family together here and throughout the world. Help us, Father, not to take each other and this great gift for granted, but to love one another and to remember that that means loving the people that perhaps we wouldn't seek to love first of all. Forgive us, Father, from where we we fail in, in the things that we do, that the things that we, we should be doing that we're not, and, and the things that perhaps we do but, but, but get wrong. Help us, Father, and guide us in the way that we, we try and help and love one another. We think about John in, uh, in the Congo, and he's so many miles, and perhaps now many months and years away from when we last saw him. Father, and, and he worries maybe that we've forgotten about him. Help us, Father, to find the time to, to remind him that he's not out of our thoughts and out of our prayers, to, to make contact, to, to let him know, and to encourage him as he is encouraging others. Help us to build that virtuous circle, Father. Be with Jack and Norman and Margaret. They're going to what Jack feels is a difficult place for the memories that, that they have there. Help those times, those memories, uh, in a sense, to be, to be healing for them, Father, and to give comfort where, where required.
and help them to enjoy the friendship that they have now. We think about Fiona, Lord, and we pray that you will be close to her to give her confidence, to give her a foundation, to give her direction, that you will be that still small voice that that guides and and continues to bring her closer to you. And help us as, as a church, as individuals, to do that and to work for you as best as we can. And with all of us, Father, who are not just struggling physically, as, as Sam is and, and many are, and the, the frailties that, that we get as we get older, but in the spiritual things, the things which perhaps aren't so obvious, Father, help us there too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was thinking after I'd rung Steve last night and uh, and asked him to read that he'd done his best to sort of avoid that, but I delayed the service just a bit, Steve, so you'd be here. <laughs> um, Steve's going to read for us um, First John, the first letter of John, chapter four. Morning, everyone. First letter of John and chapter 4. My dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying preachers loose in the world. Here's how you test for the genuine spirit of God. Everyone who confesses openly his faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came as an actual flesh and blood person, comes from God and belongs to God. And everyone who refuses to confess faith in Jesus has nothing in common with God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist that you heard was coming. Well, here it is, sooner than we thought. My dear children, you come from God and belong to God. You have already won a big victory over, all, over those false teachers. For the spirit in you is far stronger than anything in the world. These people belong to the Christ-denying world. They talk the world's language and the world eats it up. But we come from God and belong to God. Anyone who knows God understands us and listens to us. The person who has nothing to do with God will, of course, not listen to us. This is another test for telling the spirit of truth from the spirit of deception. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they have done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has seen God, ever. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. 
This is how we know we're living steadily and deeply in him and he in us. He's given us life from his life, from his very own spirit. Also, we've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the Father sent his Son as a saviour for the world. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well, we've embraced it heart and soul, this love that comes from God. God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and matures in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love, love and be loved. First we were loved, now we love. He loved us first. If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God that he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Every person who believes that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, is God begotten. If we love the one who conceives the child, we surely love the child who was conceived. The reality test on whether or not we love God's children is this. Do we love God? Do we keep his commands? The proof that we love God comes when we keep his commands and they are not at all troublesome. Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, the divine Christ. He experienced the life-giving birth and a death-killing death. Not only birth from the womb, but baptismal birth of his ministry and sacrificial death. And all the while the Spirit is confirming the truth, the reality of God's presence at Jesus' baptism and crucifixion, bringing those occasions alive for us. A triple testimony, the Spirit, the baptism, the crucifixion, and the three in perfect agreement. If we take human testimony at face value, how much more should we be reassured when God gives testimony as he does here, testifying concerning his Son? Whoever believes in the Son of God inwardly confirms God's testimony. Whoever refuses to believe, in effect, calls God a liar, refusing to believe God's own testimony regarding his Son. This is the testimony, in essence. God gave us eternal life. The life is in his Son. So whoever has the Son has life. Whoever rejects the Son rejects life. 
my purpose in writing is simply this, that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, the reality and not the illusion. Picking up on really the, the part of the conclusion of that reading we had, I'd like us to sing together. Father God, I wonder how I managed to exist without the knowledge of your parenthood and your loving care. Andy, come and bring us back to basics. It's good to be back among friends. I haven't been up here for a long time. I have missed you, and I've thought about you lots. Everything is as it usually is. We can relax. There's bread and wine on the table and we're here to remember Jesus, his life, his death and above all, his resurrection. In fact, everything is as it usually is, isn't it? At this time of day on a Sunday. But there's one thing that's different. One thing that sets today apart but it's something that we tend and want to ignore. We are all closer to the end of our mortal lives than we've ever been, every single one of us. The opportunities to share bread and wine together are diminishing day by day. When we're young, I can certainly speak for myself, I almost thought I was immortal. That's how it feels. Life goes on into the distance. But now I've got to where I am. I have a really strong sense of my mortality. I can see the end of my life before me. And it makes a difference. So today is very important it is the 29th of August, 2010. It's the only time that we will remember Jesus Christ on this day in our lives. That is a difference for all of us. Because the past has gone and the future, we don't yet know what it holds in store for us. We only know about now. And it is that is something that we can do something about. It may seem like any other Sunday to us, just sitting here in the audience, but it's not. This is a one-off day, our only opportunity that we know for certain that we have. And that's the problem, isn't it? The fact that it feels like any other Sunday actually dilutes what we do together. It actually takes away some of the strength of what we're thinking about in the bread and wine on the table. We are in a holy space in time sharing with God and his Son our thoughts about what has been done for us. This wonderful person that we remember, Jesus' Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a privilege for us not everybody in the world has this privilege, but we have this privilege of thinking about our salvation through Jesus Christ. 
So to try and help us today to make this slightly different, I want to go back to basics. To think about some of the things that really are so important for us. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is such a cataclysmic event in the world history, in its own right, that it cannot be ignored by anybody. History since Jesus died 2,000 years ago has changed because of his resurrection and what he did with his life. Nothing has been the same since. Just think back to when the film The Passion of Christ was first shown. It was strangely obvious how much impact Jesus made because non-Christians actually came out of seeing that film and said, what an unusual person. How could somebody give so much and take so much punishment without complaining? All that suffering, it really had an impact on people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. And the whole of the date system for the world has changed since Jesus was born. It has had that effect. But we know, we are absolutely certain, that Jesus did live, he did suffer, and he did die the death that that film portrayed. It's been stated, actually, in the eyes of a recognised High Court judge that the resurrection itself has more supporting evidence and is better attested evidence of any case in history. That makes the resurrection of Jesus a provable fact. It doesn't rely on our faith, the resurrection. It can be proven to have taken place. So what, we might ask, how does that affect us today then? What does that do for us here and now? Because we know that Jesus, in his life and his death and his resurrection, was that turning point in human history. And because of the ramifications of those truths, we now have a purpose to live. We have a motivation for us to actually drive us on to behave in ways that we've already read about in John. And I find the way the message puts it really powerful because it's fresh. That's why I asked for it to be read in that version. Many people, though, don't choose to live by the mythology that Jesus puts over, how he actually reacted to people He responded to people before anything else. Many people choose instead to be self-pleasers. They do what they want regardless of what other people need or ask them. And if you doubt me, look around you every day of the week. Many of the problems that we see in our world result from individuals just doing what they please regardless of the consequences. Selfishness, or sin as God calls it, creates a barrier between our God and a way has to be found to mend that breach and God chose his son to do that for us. 
Let me show you this visually. The barrier that we have between us is the way that we behave. And it creates this barrier between me and my God up here. But Jesus Christ, who lived a life, lived a life which was blameless. There was no stain on his perfect life. But our life, my life, is a life full of stains, full of damage that I have done to my relationship with God, causing this barrier between me and my God. And Jesus on the cross took our sins on himself and created for us a perfect being by his dying on the cross. He took away our sins and washed us clean. But that's not all that was done for us. You see, when Jesus first started preaching, what did he preach? What was the gospel message that Jesus preached? Luke says that he quoted from Isaiah. And I'll summarise what he said. Freedom for the prisoners, sight for the blind, release for the oppressed. We, before our baptisms, were blind, blind to God and Jesus. We were prisoners, before our baptism, of our own sins. We were oppressed before our baptism, (laughs) oppressed by the consequences of our failures, and we still can be, if we're not careful. So Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection changes all that for us as I've just shown you visually. Once we buy into the saving work of Jesus, when we accept him as our Lord and Saviour, then things begin to change. We live fully for Jesus, for God, as John told us in that chapter then we become part of God's family with God dwelling in us and us sharing a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But there's another aspect to this. This life, this death, this resurrection of Jesus that we remember in bread and wine today. It is that of forgiveness. And I'm not saying to you that we come here today to have forgiveness. That's available to us all the time. But these symbols do speak to us of forgiveness. But before we think of the spiritual side of forgiveness, just think of the, how forgiveness works in the world today, in everybody's lives. Because forgiveness is important, isn't it, in a family? Even if they don't believe in Jesus Christ, even if they're not Christians or any religion whatsoever. The reason why we have family feuds, gang warfare and wars are usually because people cannot forgive something and it causes them to react. Hatred is nurtured. Retaliation is enjoyed and reactions are provoked. 
a reactive response appears to be everything. That's how people who do not know Jesus can behave. But that is not the way to behave, is it? Forgiveness is a lubricant. It eases away pain, distress and bitterness and makes life worth living. Think about this. Why is Nelson Mandela such a powerful figure on the world stage? Because he was able to forgive those who had put him in prison. The Afrikaans had a lot to be forgiven for. And so did the Africans. And why is South Africa so different to many other countries now? Potentially, it could have been totally disastrous, the, the apartheid in South Africa. But why is it so different? Because of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that they had, which allowed both parties to come together and seek forgiveness from each other, particularly the Africans, and to get forgiveness from the Africans from the way they had treated them. That's what makes the difference. That was the lubricant for Nelson Mandela and for South Africa. And it can apply to any individual person. And regardless of what people think about Jesus Christ, what he taught, what he showed us in the way that he behaved to people who were not right with his God, gives hope and security for everyone. But I'm standing here, aren't I, in front of believers, believers who believe in the saving name of Jesus Christ. So the forgiveness that we think about becomes even more important for us. It is very much bound up with the way that we are to behave together with each other, as John, the reading that we read, showed us. A parable comes to mind, doesn't it? A parable about a servant who owed an enormous sum of money, who was forgiven his debt and went out and made the life a misery for someone else who owed him a very small amount. And because he wasn't forgiving in the way that he'd been forgiven, his master punished him and he paid with his life for that debt. The other week, I was talking to a a newborn Christian of two years. And she was talking to me about her faith and beliefs and particularly about forgiveness. Two years she'd been a Christian, but 15 years prior to that, she'd had a messy divorce from her husband after they'd got a family together. It was her fault. She was quite open about that. She'd had a short affair and got found out about it. And since the divorce, her husband had made life for her and the children a real misery. He'd made, taken every opportunity to actually do something which either upset her or caused her a problem. 
And when she accepted Jesus as her Lord two years ago, she was convinced that because she asked for it, she gained forgiveness from God. But some weeks ago, it all got stirred up again because there was another episode of her husband being very awkward and difficult and causing problems. And she began to feel uneasy. Something wasn't quite right. So she prayed about it. And the following Sunday, it was announced that there was going to be a talk on forgiveness. And she went and listened. And she agreed with everything that was said and thought, yes, I've sought forgiveness. I've forgiven my husband. But somehow it didn't quite ease her mind. And it took a couple of days of praying and thinking about it and she suddenly realised that the real problem was the one person she hadn't sought forgiveness from was her husband. And the fact that she hadn't done that was the reason why he was being so difficult because he felt so hurt, so upset by what she'd done to the family. She's put that right. She's realised that she made a big mistake in not seeking his forgiveness. What does Jesus say? If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So her husband now has a duty, really, to forgive her. What he will do is up to him. But she has eased her conscience and put herself in a right place with God by asking forgiveness from everybody involved in this problem. Think about the husband. We must never put ourselves in a position where we're eaten up with anger and bitterness towards somebody else. Forgiveness is the lubricant that we need. We need to give it and to offer it to others as well. Let me just sort of illustrate this in a way because forgiveness I find is quite a difficult thing. I had quite a difficult family life I never felt that my father forgave me for the things that I said sorry for. Because what he actually said to me was, well, that's all very well, but you've just done it again. So he, there was no sort of forgetting of the things that I'd done in the past. They were always brought up. And I think that what we need to think about forgiveness is like this. Here are my sins, which I've already shown you. Now when we go to God and we seek forgiveness and we mean that we're sorry and we intend not to do it again, the forgiveness that God gives us means that what we do it's just not possible to actually bring it up 
and show it again because I challenge any one of you to come up here and try and find a single letter of what my sins were written on that paper. All we've got is just dust and ashes. They're just not reconstructible again. That's what real forgiveness means. You cannot put those things back together again and think about them. And I find that quite helpful. Gone, forgotten, never to be brought up. And you notice that in John it talked about fear of judgment. If we seek forgiveness because of Jesus Christ from God, there is nothing for us to fear. God is not going to wait for the judgment and say, ah, well, your life was, well, you had all sorts of problems, didn't you? On the 30th of July, you, he's not going to do that. Those things are gone, forgotten, gone up in smoke. Peter was told by Jesus not to forgive seven times, but 77 times. How many times can you remember what somebody's done against you? I suggest by the time you get to probably 25 times, you might have lost count. The whole concept is just keep on forgiving somebody. Don't remember it. And don't think I'm too bad to be forgiven. I can't be perfect like other people are. Nobody else is perfect. None of us are perfect. We're all failing. We all need forgiveness. That says God can't forgive me and God can forgive everybody if they approach him in humility through Jesus Christ and seek forgiveness. God so loved the world that he gave us his Son that whoever believed in him should have everlasting life. And Peter was no different to Judas, was he? The difference between them was how they reacted to their own sin. Judas thought he couldn't be forgiven. His only way out was to hang himself. Peter knew he would seek forgiveness and he desperately sought to find a way of gaining it. And it took him days, possibly even weeks, to actually get to that point of being able to see Jesus again and say sorry to him and apologise for what he'd done. But he did get there. And he had the assurance of Jesus that, okay, he hadn't put his life at risk because he wasn't prepared to at that time. But he would, in future, die for his Lord. And he was proud of that. He said so in his letter, that he knew, because Jesus had told him, that he would face the trials on behalf of his Lord. He would suffer for him. So as we share the table of the king, the bread and wine together, what does Jesus say to us? Remember me, what I am, what I did in the bread and wine, and what I do, and what I yet will do, 
for each one of you. Eat and drink in faith, knowing that forgiveness is yours and that forgiveness means wiping the slate clean for you. So we come full circle to our reading. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So as we drink wine and we eat bread and it goes inside us, we are being dwelt in by God, by Jesus. It is up to us to show them to other people by the way that we behave in our forgiving of them. As we come to work to share bread and wine, let's think about and sing about some of the joy that we, uh, we have our confidence in because of the nature of the forgiveness of which God offers, which is so much better than the, the nature of forgiveness that we can ever usually aspire to. So Jesus, we celebrate your victory. We revel in your love because you've set us free and your death has brought us life. Derek's going to lead our thanks for the bread. Loving Heavenly Father, what a wonderful, wonderful morning this has been. How privileged we are to be here as a family, your family, brothers and sisters in Christ, baptised into your love. What a very, very appropriate reading we've had. And Andy's words so relevant to our lives. What a blessing. Fantastic blessing, Heavenly Father. What a hope we have. We've been reminded what a privilege we have of knowing Jesus, knowing his death, knowing his resurrection and the hope of eternal life with him and you, Heavenly Father. Amazing. Words I find very, very difficult to express. But we have been reminded how important it is, day by day, to seek not only forgiveness for ourselves, but forgiveness for our, everyone we meet. How we pray for and hope for the return of Jesus to put this world right. And so in taking this bread, Heavenly Father, we offer our thanks, our deep felt thank you for Jesus, his death, his suffering, but most of all for his resurrection, for his example to us and the positive way we can go about our lives looking for and seeking that forgiveness. Forgive us, Heavenly Father, for our selfishness. We do want to repent of all our sins and we know they are burnt away like a flash when we do repent. So Lord, we thank you for this time together. 
Let's love we share in Jesus and love we share with each other. And we offer our prayers always and unto his wonderful name. Amen. sharing bread we remember everything that Jesus was everything that he did everything he does and everything he will do and the wine reminds us of our Lord's shed blood in order that we can have such a great forgiveness Dave is going to lead us in our thanks for that And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Father, thank you that you so love the world. Thank you that you so loved us that you sent your only begotten Son. Father, we're about to take this cup and we thank you for this cup. This cup that has in it that perfect spilled blood of our risen and gloriously alive Jesus. That spilled blood that was so necessary for what it has done to us. Father, we are sorry. We are sorry for every time that we sin against you and we ask and we pray that you forgive us as we share this cup among us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you so willingly gave your life that we may be set free and we celebrate and we rejoice in your victory, your victory that has turned our sin to dust, that will just be blown away, your victory that has wiped us clean and made us as white as the snow. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you because what you have done has allowed us to be adopted, to be adopted into God's family. It allows us to call you our brother. We can turn our eyes on you and we can see your loving face because you love us. Father, help us to love one another. We thank you for the love that is in this church and we pray that we will take this love, your love, and share it with other people, that we may forgive those who who do wrong, that we, we perceive to do wrong against us. We pray that you will help us to forgive them so that your love will be revealed in us and made complete in us. Father, thank you for this cup. In the name of your wonderful and beautiful Son, the Lord Jesus, we ask this prayer now. Amen.
God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us, so that we're free of worry on Judgment Day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. And the purpose in writing this to us, that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. Let's share that confidence together and sing about that day to come when our Lord returns. After which Charles is going to uh, close our meeting in prayer. There's a louder shout to come. There's a sweeter song to hear. All the nations with one voice. All the nations with one king. Father God, thank you for this morning that you've called us, each one of us, and brought us together to this place and joined us by bonds which cannot be broken. Father, we've thought of, well, we thought of the basics, but it's not basic really, that you have wiped away all our sins, that they are gone up in smoke. But now, as we reach the end of the service, Father, the question is, what are we going to do? Having been forgiven, what difference will that make to us? Lord, the wind has been blowing outside. It's been running through the building and knocking the doors and swirling around on the streets. And it made me think of your spirit. We pray that this week we will move in that spirit. That we will go where you want us to go. We will do what you want us to do. We will take residence in your love and move in that love. Bless us, we pray, each and every one of us, as we do our best to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.